In, uh, in light of our 20th year anniversary as a church, I wanted to share with you a few things that are also 20 years old. In January of 2001, Wikipedia was born, a website synonymous with information and research and one of God's greatest blessings to procrastinating college students. Amen? In July 2001, Legally Blonde came out in theaters. Reese Witherspoon plays the sassy and yet driven Elle Woods, who conquers Harvard with a law handbook and high heels. Yes, I wrote that. Also, in July of 2001, doctors performed the first successful transplant of a self-contained artificial heart. In other words, it was a mechanical and artificial heart that functioned entirely without needing any outside wires or batteries. And in June of 2001, Fear Factor had its first season on NBC. It was hosted by Joe Rogan, and through that show, I realized that fear was a factor for me and that I would never go on a show like that. But all kidding aside, Shining Star was founded in January of 2001, 20 years ago. Since then, we have grown in leaps and bounds, not only numerically, but of course spiritually. Our church started there with 30 people, and it was a home church that they would have at the basement of, somebody, of one of the members' houses. And now we've encompassed multiple ministries with multiple languages, supporting over 150 missionaries abroad. It's been a privilege to be a part of that journey. And I believe that God is going to be shaping our church a lot more clearly as the time goes on. And I believe in the next few years especially, God is really going to define our vision and our identity within Shining Star. The reason I say that is because I read this book called uh, The Defining Decade. And I thought it was really interesting because the, the author, he makes an argument that our work, relationships, personality, and most importantly, our identity is shaped and defined more in our 20s than in any other time in our adulthood. And I know some of you are saying, Pastor Danny, look, I, I ain't 20 anymore, right? I'm, I'm way in the past, I'm not even there yet. And yet, whether or not you are under or over 20, we are all entering into a defining decade within this church. And as I thought about what to speak on, and as I thought about all that I wanted to talk to you about, and what I, all that I, I felt like God was kind of, kind of speaking to our church about, I came upon the end of the book of Acts and the last words of Paul. You see, the end of Acts is a bit strange. Because in the final chapters, Luke is very descriptive of Paul's life. In fact, he's very descriptive of Paul's uh, suffering. And we can see this. I mean, we spent the last couple of weeks talking about this shipwreck that happened, where Paul, he was falsely accused, he was thrown in prison, and he had been tried, and he was going to Rome. And so he went on a boat to go to Rome, and during that time, he got on this huge shipwreck. 
And all of this stuff happened. And for Luke, when he describes Paul and Paul's journey, man, he goes deep into that. You hear his sermons, you hear all of these different things. And so when you come upon the end of Acts, where Paul would go in front of the Roman government and defend himself in the trial, you would think that it would be the sermon of his life. You would think that it would end with this huge climax of all of this stuff. And yet it ends very abruptly. All it says in verses 30 to 31 is Paul lived in Rome for two years and proclaimed the gospel. That's really it. And I think one of the reasons why Luke would do this is because he's trying to show that even though it was the end of the story of Paul, it's only the beginning of the story of the church. And so he's trying to move focus away from Paul and move towards all that the church is going to accomplish. And yet, for me, I was interested in hearing more of Paul's life. Because this was a very general view of all that Paul had done, and yet I believe that there was something important to be heard with his last words. And maybe that was because of Passion Week, maybe because I was just kind of focused on that, but I was really interested to hear, okay, we heard about the sermons of Paul, we've talked about Paul all through Acts, what were his last words? Well, scholars point out that in the book of Second Timothy, Paul wrote his last letter from prison in Rome. And in this last letter, he gives his final advice and counsel to Timothy and to the church. And so what I want to do today was very simply, very shortly, look at the last words of Paul and see two things. That life is a struggle, and yet we are set free in Christ. And I hope that these words impact your life and shape the next decade of our church, okay? Now, let me read to you 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. These are some of his last words. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You see, the first thing that Paul tells Timothy in his last letter is that life is a struggle. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. You see, the Greek word for fight is the same word that we use for agony. And it's a word that simply means struggle. You know, Paul, he mentions it briefly here, but he actually expounds on this idea in 1 Corinthians 9, where Paul, he says that all of us who believe in Jesus Christ are like runners, he says, or like athletes who struggle, who agonize, and yet run with purpose and self-control. You see, there's a misunderstanding here. Because when Paul says life is a struggle, he is not saying that life is hard. That's not what Paul is saying, even though everyone knows that. There's that famous quote, life is hard, then you die. 
Then they throw dirt in your face. Be thankful it happens in that order. Life is a struggle, but that is not what Paul is talking about here. He is speaking to Timothy, and he's speaking to the church, and he's telling them, look, you have to fight the good fight. You, in particular, need to fight the good fight. In other words, he's saying that the Christian life is a struggle. He's saying that it is a deliberate struggle, so prepare yourself. He's not talking about life in general. He's not talking about everything that happens. He's saying, when you become a Christian, your life is going to be difficult. There is going to be agony. Prepare yourself for it. As Christians, we are like soldiers who are called to look at sin, to understand that everyone else will naturally gravitate towards it, And yet for us, we know it's wrong, and so we choose to turn away. That is why life is a struggle. It is because we are naturally inclined to our human nature, and our human nature is always going towards ourselves and to sin. And yet what we know as Christians is that we were made for more than that. You see, the reason Paul relates the Christian life to an athlete is because athletes have to say no to their impulses. For us normal people, we look at a piece of cake and, of course, we just grab it and we eat it. We turn around and there's another piece of cake and we grab it and we eat it again. But for athletes, they look at that same piece of cake, they desire it in the same exact way, And yet for them, they say, no, no, I'm preparing for something more. I need to do something else. There's a goal I'm trying to achieve. And so even though my desires say this one way, I'm going to move differently. I choose no. This is the struggle of our Christian walk with sin. Martin Luther once said that because of our sin, our nature is so deeply curved that in all things we crave to please ourselves. What he's saying essentially is that there's two options for every person. Either we can serve God or we can serve ourselves. And for us, our natural inclination, what human nature tells us, is just serve yourself. Just care about yourself. Just invest in yourself. Just care. Just do everything for yourself. Don't worry about others. Don't think about God. And yet, what Paul is saying is, look, we know better. For those who have been saved, for those who know the love of Jesus Christ, for those who understand the grace of our Savior, you understand that human nature is not all that we have. You know that what we see in our lives physically is not everything, that there are spiritual powers and principalities that are so much bigger than we can ever imagine. And for you as a Christian, you understand this. And so you will fight against temptation. You will fight against sin. The Christian life is a struggle, is a fight against these things. And I know that it seems so theoretical at times, but I want you to understand that even for Paul, he struggled with this. And he says it here in this passage. 
He says, I've fought that fight. I've agonized over that. I've struggled. And I know he seems so godly, and yet he's done those things. He's, he's pushed forward in that. And as pastors, as leaders, no one is immune to that struggle. I read this morning an article of a D.C. pastor who used his church's PPP loan to buy himself 39 cars. And he also bought some property in Maryland. Everyone struggles with the struggle. Everyone struggles with, should I serve myself or should I serve God? Just because you're a pastor does not make you immune to that. Just because you're a Christian leader does not make you immune to that. Whether you are new in your faith or whether you've been walking for years and years, this is the struggle that you will go through every single day. So Paul is saying, prepare yourself. Prepare your heart. Prepare your mind. Now, what does it mean to prepare yourself? Well, you know, in our premarital counseling classes, um, one of the topics that comes up is how to resolve disputes, how to resolve conflicts. Now, many of the couples that do this premarital counseling have been dating only for maybe a couple years or so, not too long, and they haven't really need to make too many big decisions. And so the conflicts that they bring up or that they're thinking of are, you know, for them, almost embarrassing. Uh, the last conflict we had was what to eat on a Saturday, right? The last conflict, the last argument that we had was, man, like, what, what should we, uh, should we visit your in-laws or should we visit their, like, just something, you know, kind of more tame. And they feel like it's insignificant because they have seen the seasoned married couples who have really fought over big things like finances, mortgages, their children, the future, all of these other things. And so they asked me, should I even bring this up? Should I even talk about this? And I always remind them of one thing. You should speak about these things. We need to dissect. We need to open it up. We need to be open about this. Because even if the argument is small today, what you're doing is you're setting a habit for how you will resolve arguments in the future. If he's disrespectful and he yells at you about your food habits, then nothing is going to change when you argue about your finances later. If she brings up past mistakes to win arguments today, why would that be any different than when you're arguing about your children tomorrow. And so we go through these small arguments and we make sure to talk about it. We make sure to open ourselves up to it because we want to make sure that we are building good habits today and the small things in the everyday life right now so that it can prepare you for a good and healthy marriage in the future. There's nothing insignificant about these arguments, about these disputes. Everything builds up. Everything prepares you for your lifetime tomorrow. And this is what it means, church, when the Bible tells you to guard your heart. This is what it means, church, when the Bible tells you to protect your soul. The habits you build today, they may seem small. They may seem insignificant. They may seem like everything is going fine right now, and so you don't really need to do much. 
But these habits and daily devotions in your prayers and making yourself accountable to other brothers and sisters will affect you for the rest of your life. What you are doing is building good, healthy habits for a healthy Christian lifestyle. And church, when you aren't struggling in your Christian faith today, when that day comes, everything that you've prepared yourself before is going to help you. And church, we know that life is going to be a struggle. We know that the Christian life is going to be hard. So Paul is speaking to us. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to Timothy. And he's saying, look, this next few years, build good habits. Guard your heart. Prepare yourself. There is going to be a fight And it's not going to be a fight that you can see. It's going to be a fight for your soul. So prepare yourself. And I know that this seems very down and sad, but I want to remind you, I want want to give you hope as well. Because life isn't just a struggle where we fight and then that's it. Because even though there will be a struggle in your life, You have been set free from sin and death through the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? It is through Jesus Christ that he has taken away the bondage and the chains of your addictions and your sins. 2 Timothy 4, 6-7, it says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. When Paul says that he is being poured out, it means that he has spent everything that he could in his fight against sin. He has poured out everything. He has been wrung out like a rag. He has done every, everything. And yet, even though he has done everything, even though it seems like he's almost done, he tells Timothy at the end, I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. I have finished well. He is able to overcome. He is able to stay faithful because his faith in Jesus Christ gave him an identity that was different than the identity of this world. You see, for Paul, if he was stuck to his old habits of trying to follow the law, of trying to be a good Pharisee, there would be no way that he would last to this moment because his identity would be based upon the law, it would be based upon this world, and all of the things in this world, what we know is that it will crumble. And yet for him, when he was saved on the road to Damascus, as he was looking at Jesus Christ and he believed in him, for him, his identity completely shifted. He became a new creation. And so everything in this world that had power over him no longer has power over him, church. And this is your story as well. As Christian brothers and sisters who believe in the gospel, who believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again, there is no power or principality upon this earth that can have any hold over you because the power of Jesus Christ is greater than that. Romans 6, 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 
Romans 6.18 says, And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Your identity once was in sin. Your identity once was in your addictions. But it is there no longer. It no longer defines you. It is no longer part of your identity. It is no longer who you are. Your identity is as a son and a daughter of the Most High God. There's a lot of us who believe that our addictions and our past will always be our identity. And I'm talking to you Christians right now. Because even as Christians, even as people who believe in Jesus Christ, who confess with our mouths that we trust in him, trust in him as our Savior, we look at the sin patterns of our lives and we can't help but feel so much shame and feel so much self-hatred because we continue to fall back into those sins, into those addictions again and again. And because of this guilt that we feel, we feel like we can't turn to anybody or to anything else. And so we naturally just go back into those sins. It's this desperate cycle. But I want to tell you that you have been set free in Christ. Your identity is no longer found in your addictions or your sin. You are under the jurisdiction of Jesus Christ. And when he died for you on the cross, he also died for your sins. And when he rose from the grave, it showed that he, no, he didn't only have power over death, over the grave, but he had power over all of the sins that you are going through today, all of the addictions that you have struggled with for your entire life. How do I know this? How do I know that God has power over our lives? Church, I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in the lives of so many brothers and sisters here. And I have faith in Jesus Christ that what he says in the Bible is true. That through his death and resurrection, it casts off all power of sin and death from you and me. When I was around 10 years old, I had someone that I really loved. She was a mother figure to me. And she suddenly without explanation, left my life. And at that time, I was too young to comprehend what was happening. And I didn't know how to process it, and it haunted me for a long time. And I realized that as time went on, I would fall into this pattern of wanting intimacy without wanting any of the commitment. And so all of my relationships, whether that was platonic or romantic, would all go in the same type of pattern. I would be friends with them, and we'd be close and close, and then to the point where I felt I was being too vulnerable, I would cut them off and I would run. And I would do that again and again. And I thought for so long that this would be my life. I thought for so long that this would be the definition of who I was. And yet I know that it's not. The reason I can speak about that so clearly, the reason I can say without a shadow of a doubt that that is no longer my identity, is because that fear does not have power over me. My identity is found in Jesus Christ. That when I was saved, when I was 19 years old, I had to make a choice. 
And I decided to commit my life to him. And I said, even though I'm vulnerable right now, even though I'm afraid, God, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust that you won't abandon me. I'm going to trust that you won't leave me. And look, church, in my life, that is a living testimony. God has not abandoned me. That even when all else has failed me, even when everything else has crumbled around me, Jesus Christ has stayed firm. And I know that for the rest of my life that he will stand firm. And that when I close my eyes for the last time, that he will be in front of me in heaven waiting for me there. Some of us have struggled with so many different addictions. Church, I encourage you to speak to our brothers and sisters here. One of my greatest privileges as a pastor has been to hear so many of your stories. It's been, an, it's been such a blessing and a privilege to be able to speak to so many faithful brothers and sisters and know that you have struggled with addictions and with sins and these patterns for so long. And yet when you were saved, your pattern, your addictions no longer, uh, no longer identify you. Those aren't who you are anymore. Your identity is found in Jesus Christ and you have been set free from those things. It has been such an encouragement to me. And church, I, man, I want to encourage you that if you have been struggling with those things, talk to other leaders here. Talk to other brothers and sisters here. Talk to our staff. Because I guarantee you that we have been struggling with those same struggles. We have gone through those addictions. That we have gone through those sins. And I promise you that it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit, it is only through the power of our Lord Jesus Christ that you can ever be saved from those things, that you can ever be freed from those chains. Church, do not lose hope, but understand that it is through Jesus Christ that you have a new identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. You have been given a new identity in Christ. Amen? I am so thankful for all that God has done in these past 20 years. And I am so excited to see how God is going to define this next decade of our church. I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to do something pretty powerful in our lives. But I pray that we would steal our hearts and prepare our minds to understand that the Christian life is a struggle. But I also pray that you would understand intimately that your identity is no longer found in your sins and no longer found in this world. It is found in Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Let's pray.